Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Muller, She Wrote is brought to you by Murder Book, a new true crime podcast hosted by best-selling author Michael Connolly, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. And thanks to Noom for supporting Muller, She Wrote. Sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. And thanks to Skillshare for supporting Muller, She Wrote. Join the millions of students already learning Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right, Skillshare is offering Muller, She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash AG. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash AG to start your two months now. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. First, a big thank you to our over, we have over 6,400 patrons now, guys, who get access to our MSW Book Club, which is out now, uh, the midweek full-length ad-free episodes, ad-free main episodes, pre-sale or VIP ticket discounts to live shows, access to our closed Facebook group where you can play the Fantasy Indictment League and all sorts of gifts. So all that for three bucks, as, as little as three bucks. So you're all awesome. Thank you so much. And you're all now automatically uh, patrons for our forthcoming weekday show called The Daily Beans. Coming soon. We, I, I kind of was like, ah, 7,000 patrons, that'll be next year. No, it's <laughs> like probably April. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like as soon as we started talking about it, people started really jumping on and joining. Yep. Very so, quickly. Which coming, is great. Yeah, I'm excited. Coming out soon. Uh, let's see here. Speaking of live shows, you can come see us at the Miracle Theater with Natasha Bertrand and Katie Fang on March 29th in Washington, D.C. We'll also be at the Bell House in Brooklyn March 30th with Matthew Miller, who's joining us later in the show for the interview to talk about Manafort's bullshit sentence, uh, and Andrea Chalupa from Gaslit Nation. She'll be there as well. Or you can come see us at Largo in Hollywood April 18th with special guests Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin and Greg Proops uh, with special appearance by Randall of Crazy Ass Honey Badger fame. Um, the Largo was sold out, but they've released a limited amount of additional tickets. Uh, and as of this recording, there are still some left, so grab them now. 
uh, and announcing our live show in Minneapolis at the Parkway Theater June 14th. There are general admission tickets and VIP meet-and-greet packages available now. Just head to the Parkway Theater's website to grab your tickets for that, or we, we should be able to update it on MullerSheWrote.com. Uh, this week was intense, you guys. I mostly <laughs> sat around waiting for the Manafort sentencing, which was a massive letdown, but uh, how was your week? It was okay. I'm with you on that. It's kind of a bummer. It was a letdown. It was a huge letdown. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Ellis has just been kind of... Problem, not problematic. That's a weighted word to describe him. But he's been sort of siding on the the side of like absolutely one hundred percent not relating this sentence in any way whatsoever to the Mueller probe. Yeah, he, he hated this case. He did. He hated this case, and he thought it was bullshit. It was obvious. I think he he he, yeah, he had statements that were indicative of him being like, "This is bullshit. I'm not going to treat this like it's some appendage of the Mueller probe." Yeah, and we're going to get into the difference between that and. Uh, Regular crime criminals like the rest of us commoners and how those sentences sentences differ when we talk to Matthew Miller later and we might cover it again in the wrap up. So stick around for that. Jordan, you're going to take a deep dive into a story about a guy we haven't talked about for a while, Eric Prince. Uh, Angelisa, you'll be covering some interesting news about Cindy Yang. Uh, Wang Yang, I call her. Uh, the woman who founded the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida, where Patriots owner Robert Kraft was caught getting happy endings from trafficked women. Um, so this isn't just a you know, typical prostitution bus. These are sex trafficked women that that are there for like against their will. So yuck, um, that's horrifying. And uh, I'm going to talk about the also rans that received one of those 81 letters Jerry Nadler sent out this week. Um, and as previously stated, we have MSNBC justice and security analyst Matthew Miller joining us for the interview. Uh, I believe we fixed the audio issues, so thank you for your patience on that. We're still, you know, indie, and we're st- we still have to do all this ourselves, so we appreciate your patience. Uh, but he and I will be chatting about, again, the ridiculous miscarriage of justice that was Manafort's sentencing. But before we jump into the news, it's time for corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. Okay, so first, I said that when Jeffrey Epstein, that's the pedophile guy with the sex trafficking and the parties and Alan Dershowitz and Trump and all that, I said when he was serving his sweetheart sentence that he that he got to go home at night and went to his private jail cell during the day, but it's the other way around, so thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I also implied that the framers of the Constitution were rad for including term limits, but those came much later, obviously in 1951 with the 22nd Amendment. Sorry for the confusion there. Uh, also, we want to clarify that we know that uh, the indicted Bibi Netanyahu was democratically elected uh, when we read the concerns from a journalist named Inbar, who we incidentally called him, and we later found out that that is a she-her name traditionally and that she does, in fact, identify as a she, as a she so apologies there. <laughs> uh, sorry, Inbar. Uh, I think, w- what did you say, Julissa? It's, uh, it's, really it's the fr- Hebrew name for Amber. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I also said there would be uh, there there weren't going to be any charges in the shooting of Stefan Clark uh, brought by the grand jury, but it was actually the Sacktown County DA, uh, Sacramento Sacramento County uh, District Attorney, that made that decision. Sacktown County DA. It sounds like a weird song. Uh, and for the pronunciation of the right wing party in Sweden, I found out it's a I was close, but it's a soft G like GIF. It's not GIF. It's GIF, uh, and that makes it Sverige uh, Demokraterna. Okay, so you have to add that at the end. So if that's not right, uh, no more. Uh, just let's agree that I can't pronounce it. 
though one Swedish listener gave me a 9 out of 10. So thank you for that. I also said uh, Trump got an MBA and and probably lied about it. Well, he didn't, so I was right when I guessed he didn't have one. (laughs) Uh, Then we had uh, dedicated... And this was kind of an interesting uh, bunch of emails that we got. We dedicated the last episode to Brody Stevens, and we said that he had committed suicide. And many of you suggested we say died by suicide because the word committed connotates a bad act. And I really like that, and I'm going to make an effort to, to use that. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, like the, I like that better. So uh, finally, we said Obama was not a legacy at Harvard, but uh, his dad went there. So technically he was, even though his dad got a Ph.D. in economics, so he wasn't a law legacy. But we wanted to be clear about that. Uh, oh, and somebody asked about the phrase I used in the midweek episode for patrons wanting to know what I meant by nuclear boobies. <laughs> They're like, what are nuclear boobies? So when you drive up the five between San Diego and Los Angeles and you pass San Onofre State Beach, there's the San Onofre nuclear power plant. And the cooling towers are shaped like two giant boobs. So that's we call them the nuclear boobies. You can check in there on on Facebook if you want. Uh, It's a thing. Yeah, you can't miss it when you're driving past it. No. No, yeah. Drive by there and try to have your first thought not be boobies. How dare you? (laughs) And it was even featured in The Naked Gun. Everywhere I look, something reminds me of her. Yeah, so, yeah. It's unmistakable uh, monument to tits. Yeah, it's a great landmark. (laughs) It is. And it's kind of like the halfway point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so we always, if you're driving up to L.A., where are you at? Nuclear boobies. Yeah, it's the beacon of boobies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bringing love and boobies to to the <laughs> West Coast. Uh, also, after our little chat we had about constructive feedback, I got to say, you guys, your compliment sandwiches were delicious this week and a pleasure to read. So thank you. And if you have any corrections, just send them over to hello at com, and we'll get them right someday. Sverige <laughs> Demokraterna. I can do it. <laughs> Probably not. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. So, Renato, do you still have your own podcast? Yeah, it's complicated. What's so complicated about a podcast? That's the name of the podcast, remember? Oh, will you still be exploring topics that help us understand the week's news? You bet. But we'll have a new name because we're going to be working together to explore complicated issues that are dominating the news working together yeah you're hosting it with me remember oh right wait does that mean our podcast is going to have a steam mop segment let's not get carried away but we'll discuss hot new legal topics so check out our new episode coming soon to everywhere you get podcasts as well as youtube With corrections out of the way, what do you say we uh, report some news with just the facts? Okay, all the way back to the beginning of the week, right after I did my massive hot note on all things that House Dems were investigating, 
Uh, Jerry Nadler wrote 81 letters to 81 people to request documents, and I'll go over that in Hot Notes for you. We had a lot of folks asking for a breakdown of those requests. Someone's like, hey, can you go over those 81 things and say what they're involved in? And I'm like, that's our entire podcast for the last year and a half. So you can just listen to the whole podcast. But there were there's some names on there that a lot of people weren't familiar with, and I, I wanted to bring those up because we did we, we have mentioned all of them, but there's some that we've only mentioned once or twice or in passing, and, and we didn't really put a spotlight on. So we'll go over those in hot notes. Then Monday, we learned the House is also seeking information about the communications between Putin and Trump. As you'll remember, there were at least a half, half dozen occasions uh, where Trump and Putin either met or called each other all of which we had to learn about from Russian state media because Trump wouldn't let American journalists in the room or to cover them. Um, nor do I imagine he wanted us to know what he was saying in those meetings. Some of them were clandestine, pretty secret. So Monday, three House committee chairs sent a letter to the White House and the State Department uh, requesting detailed information about the communications between Trump and Putin. Adam Schiff, Elliot Engel, and Elijah Cummings, those are the chairs of House Intel House Foreign Affairs and House Oversight, respectively, sent the requests to acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They're demanding all the topics they discussed, any documents related to the meetings and calls, uh, if any of the chats provided a basis for any foreign policy. They also want to know uh, if anyone concealed, obscured, or misrepresented the substance of the communications to any federal officials, departments, or agencies to shield Trump from scrutiny by Congress or law enforcement. So it's pretty wide-ranging, uh, and they have until the Ides of March to comply. That's March 15th, for people who haven't read Julius Caesar in a while. Or yeah. watched that movie. Does Ides mean 15? Uh, I think so. I All I know is the Ides of March are, yeah, the 15th of March. Uh, cool. And it was Beware the Ides of March. That's when Brutus stabbed Caesar. Oh, no. Etu, Brute. Etu. Wait, Brutus? Brute. It's Brute in Latin. Brutus over here. Um, over here because <laughs> we were over here when that was happening we weren't um, yeah actually I I remember I sent out one of my favorite tweets I ever put out was um, if Michael Buble if I ever meet Michael Buble I hope that he likes monster trucks too so that I can say et tu Buble and that was real seriously one of my favorite tweets I, ever <laughs> I like that I've never been able to set up a premise but I wanted to have a punchline that was just like et tu Buble yeah but I can't figure that out yeah, you can do that if anybody, if any girl you're chasing or any dude has a hot ass that you're chasing and then oh, they and they turn me down. forsake you or it's unrequited, that could be an at two oh, booty. Thank you so much, AG. Or if you if you do a booty call, and and they never hit you back, like same. maybe they do the dot dot dot, yeah. and it, then it disappears, and then the dot dot dot, and it disappears. Mm-hmm. You can be at two booty, and yes, then, yeah, that's there, perfect. There or, or hemorrhoids, at two booty. Wow, yes, dude, <laughs> you <yeah>. traitor, <laughs> you butt traitor. I love this. <laughs> Uh, we also learned Monday that Trump asked Gary Cohn to block the AT&T and Time Warner merger, which in any other administration would be a huge scandal. This came to light in a report about the unnatural relationship between Fox News and the White House. And I'd like to bring up the fact that Fox News's Twitter is still dark and has been ever since Rupert Murdoch met with Turtle Dick Mitch on the Hill November 8th of last year. Uh, my guess is, my guess this is Beans, is that Fox News tweeted out something it wasn't supposed to, like, I don't know, stolen WikiLeaks documents, and has been forced to shutter its account while it's under investigation. Because, as we know, WikiLeaks is under investigation right now. But uh, WikiLeaks' tweet is back, or Twitter's backup, I don't know. Uh, anyway, for this Time Warner merger, we know that Trump hates CNN, which is part of this deal. 
And it's reminiscent of Trump trying to jack up shipping prices on Bezos because he doesn't like the Washington Post, which Bezos owns, and even likely working with AMI and David Pecker, David Pecker, uh, to blackmail Bezos. So if true, uh, Trump telling Gary Cohn to block this deal is a blatant abuse of power, it will likely show up in the articles of impeachment. So look out for that. And according to a source, Trump called Cohn and then Chief of Staff John Kelly into his office to say to Kelly, I've been telling Cohn to get this lawsuit filed and nothing has happened. I've mentioned it 50 times. I want to make sure it's filed. I want that deal blocked. So that's pretty straightforward. That wasn't like one of those weird communications, like how you just kind of look at somebody and say, mm, what are we going to do here? He, I want it blocked. And uh, afterwards, according to Jane Mayer of The New Yorker, Cohn told Kelly not to follow through with the president's request. Now, Let's think about what we know about Cohn and Kelly. Cohn resigned after, I think, uh, Jordan, we were talking about this in, in one of the old book reviews, that he couldn't get on board with Trump's tariffs, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Kelly, we know he hates Trump. Yeah, because Cohn like, actually knows econ. Right. He's like, I, I can't. I got to go, man. Um, you're fucking stupid. And then Kelly hates Trump, obviously. So how do you think this is going to play out? It's not looking good for Trump, though we've said this many times before. So <laughs> who knows? Uh, the Wall Street Journal then reported Tuesday that a lawyer for Cohen approached Trump's legal team, specifically Jay Sekulow and Rudy Giuliani, about a pardon after federal agents raided Cohen's properties last April. It's important to note that during his testimony, Cohen said the last communications he had with Trump or any of Trump's agents was just after the raid. Remember, he was like two months after the raid, I think, maybe. And Trump has admitted Cohen's lawyers and Cohen himself asked for a pardon and Trump and his attorneys told them no. So presumably Cohen was raided. He asked for a pardon either directly or through legal channels. Then it ultimately said no. So Cohen decided to flip on him. Uh, if Trump or Trump's attorneys discussed at all any aspect of a potential of a potential pardon, um, they're on the hook uh, criminally provided that it can be proven. So throw that on the stack of obstructions of justice. And then meanwhile, Cohen told Congress he never asked for a pardon. God damn it. And he, <clears throat> he may have perjured himself there, but he might not have. He might have been doing <laughs> the, the semantics thing where he personally didn't ask Trump for a pardon, but maybe he sent his lawyers or he asked his lawyers or he never actually said, give me a pardon to Trump with his mouth. I mean, th that might be it, but we'll find out. <laughs> with his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> They're both lying liars. So without documentary evidence, it's going to be really impossible to know the real story. Um, in other news, Cohen met behind closed doors again this Wednesday with the House Intel Committee, where he apparently provided documents showing alleged edits to his 2017 testimony about Trump Tower Moscow by Trump lawyers. Uh, the documents show Jay Sekulow made changes to Cohen's statements to the House and Senate Intel Committees and that the statements were reviewed ahead of time by the attorney for Kushner and Ivanka, Abby Lowell. And that sounds like a conspiracy to me. There's a lot of people involved, so conspiracy sounds like suborning perjury, maybe witness tampering, certainly obstruction of justice. Uh, and if Trump knew about it, he's implicated. Um, finally, because if you know about it and you let it happen, you're in on the conspiracy. You are a fellow conspirator. And then finally, we learned this week that Cohen is suing the Trump Organization for legal fees resulting from the Mueller probe and the Stormy Daniels lawsuit. Uh, Cohen contends he had a contractual agreement with the Trump Organization to compensate him for fees and costs incurred through his work with and on behalf of company officials. He claims the Trump organization owes him $1.9 million for legal fees and an additional $1.9 million that he was forced to forfeit as part of his criminal sentence arising from conduct directed by the president. Damn. 
And this is a pretty slick legal move because if Trump fights it, he will be subject to deposition and discovery. Yeah. I mean, it seems fair. And that's also Trump change if, you know, I mean. Trump change? <laughs> yes. Don't you want a loan? Yes, exactly. It's Trump change. I don't, every time I say that, though, I'm like, wait, no, he's actually not nearly as rich as we think he is. He has no money, probably. Uh, let's see. We also learned Tuesday some stuff about the Roger Stone case. As you know, Judge Jackson slapped a limited gag order on him. Uh, and last week, Stone, well, she put the limited gag order on him, and then we guessed, even though we wanted her to revoke the bail, uh, after he went out and just said a bunch of bullshit, uh, she just expanded the gag order, right? And then uh, this last week, Stone posted a photo of Judge Jackson on social media with what appeared to be crosshairs by her head, uh, and the judge then demanded... Um, he had until this last Monday to explain himself. Like, what the fuck, bro? Uh, and there's also a book being released that also probably violates his gag order uh, because it's about how Trump-Russia is a hoax, right? The Russia witch hoax or whatever the fuck. Uh, not to mention, over this last weekend, Stone posted a mock-up movie poster parody of Who Framed Roger Rabbit that said Who Framed Roger Stone. So in court this week, the judge chastised him and then gave him until March 11th to get his shit together. And if she's not satisfied with it, she might, uh, quote, adjust his environment. <laughs> so I'm hoping she revokes bail and throws him in jail. Dude, he'd be such a jail queen. Oh, he'd God. fucking love that shit. He, he would. would. He would make the jumpsuit look so fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> he'd remind me of Dr. Evil when he was in jail. Oh, yeah. Like, he'd get a little hard knock life. He'd get a mini me. <laughs> Going. It would be great. Oh, a mini a stone. mini Roger. Yeah, mini stone. <laughs> it's just a rock, though, with his name on it. <laughs> <laughs> with that top hat. I can imagine him taking everything like a champ. He's like, I'm just happy to be here. I've been working towards this my whole life. I'm the most famous guy here. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Give me that baloney. <laughs> Give me that green baloney. Yeah. I, I, and when he first violated the gag order, the limited gag order, uh, and I wanted him to be thrown in jail, I didn't think she was going to revoke his bail. We, and Jordan, you, you and I agreed on this too. And Jaleesa, I think you did too. Like, she's just going to expand the gag order. But this time I think she might actually revoke his bail. So. Yeah. I mean releasing or re-releasing as they say a book that's all about how this entire investigation is a hoax that's just that's like calling her bluff jesus yeah (laughs) it's it's putting like crosshairs on the whole thing it's almost like like when manafort was out on bail and he wrote that op-ed with his european friends about how russia was a hoax it's like you can't they're just so dumb you guys i don't i don't get it i just don't understand uh and I do, though. I think Beans on revoking his bail, and he'll be in jail until the trial starts. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Because she said that they have until March 11th to show how they can get back in compliance with it. And it's like, if they've already sold copies, which they did and stuff, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you can do damage control on all the things that he's done as a whole at, at this point. No, I don't think you can take that back. Sold books. I didn't buy one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> a recall. <laughs> We're doing a recall in these books. That would be funny if he suggested that. Can we just do a recall, Judge? Yeah. Uh. I'll tell them all it's contaminated with bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I really honestly think he he just doesn't care as long as he's getting attention. And I kind of feel bad for giving it to him right now, but whatever. He doesn't listen. So, guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thanks to Murder Book, the new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly for supporting Muller She Wrote. 
Returning to his roots as a journalist, best-selling author Michael Connelly now presents the true crime podcast, Murder Book, working with the very best detectives who inform his novels and his hit television show, Bosch. The podcast explores real homicide cases not covered by mainstream media. Murder Book Season 1 is the telltale bullet, and it dives into a 30-year-old Hollywood carjacking gone wrong that tests the limits of the American criminal justice system. Sound familiar? Also, from Michael Connelly, Dark Sacred Night, his latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. You can find Dark Sacred Night wherever books are sold. I personally love the way Michael Connelly tells a story, and I know you will too. Uh, Not only is his book well-written and riveting, it's a page-turner, but the way he presents law enforcement cases in his true crime podcast, Murder Book, provides a unique point of view that I haven't heard before in podcasting, so I look forward to it every week. So be sure to check out Michael Connolly's new Murder Book podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, or at murderbookpodcast.com. That's murderbookpodcast.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, Let's see, we were on Tuesday, and The New Yorker did a piece on the new hire for the House Intel Committee, Daniel Goldman. Oh, yes, Coleman. Uh, The D is silent in America. It's uh, Col de l'Omont, or Col of the Isle of Man, in France, where Armand's chateau is, and Coldman in Greece, where Armand's work is, and finally the vulgar Coleman in Florida, where Armand's home is. So actually, we don't know where we are until we hear our last name pronounced. (laughs) So Goldman is a veteran prosecutor with experience in Russian organized crime, money laundering, securities fraud, and racketeering, and he has 10 years experience with the Southern District of New York, Trump's favorite district, uh, in that U.S. Attorney's Office. And uh, this is a guy Schiff hired to lead the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into Trump's ties to Russia. Uh, The House Intelligence Committee is focusing more on the Russia-Trump thing, whereas the Oversight Committee is focusing more on uh, financial oversight and the judiciary is looking at obstruction of justice. So they're all kind of looking at their own things Mm -hmm. um, as their charters tell them to. And we'll keep an eye on that investigation as it unfolds. Also Tuesday, we found out that it appears Michael Caputo is going full Nunberg, as Chalisa says, <laughs> in that he's refusing to cooperate with the House Judiciary Committee's inquiry into whether or not Trump has abused his power. So Caputo told the Washington Post that he uh, has spoken to four other Trump associates, four other guys, uh, who received requests from the Judiciary Committee to start an alliance of assholes, I guess, to resist requests for testimony. <laughs> Um, An alliance of assholes like a human centipede. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's just throw our lips to each other's butts and we'll never tell. Um, Caputo says that that was weird. Caputo says the request is a perjury trap designed to impeach the president. Uh, I'm sure all five idiots will be subpoenaed, so stay tuned. Yeah, there's a lot of dots he's connecting there. A perjury (laughs) trap to impeach the president. He just skips over the, like, him being perjured part. Or the crimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, everything that would happen in between. Minor details. They went to 7-Eleven and they impeached the president. (laughs) So did Jesse Smaller. No, that was. He went to the subway. (laughs) Oh, that's going to become a verb soon. It will. To smile at somebody. Mm -hmm. It is. All it's right. It's a unique name. It is. And I th- is, is it pronounced Smollett or Smollett? Or I guess small, Smollett. I've heard sounds, different ways. Yeah. Jussie? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, he's in trouble, too. I think 16 indictments dropped on him today. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Oh, what a weird world. Um, also Tuesday, the Washington Post did a piece on Trump's extensive efforts to hide his grades from the public. 
we know from the Cohen testimony that he Cohen wrote threatening letters to Trump's schools, warning them against releasing Trump's grades. Uh, but the Post, Washington Post, broke the news that the New York Military Academy moved its Trump files to a secure location amid pressure by Trump's rich buddies. Um, the school agreed to help guarantee the files would never get out, citing fear of litigation. They were intimidated. Uh, and this all took place around the same time Trump was accusing Obama of being a terrible student and demanding his grades be released, which is typical Trump, right? Realize you suck at something, blame your opponents for sucking at what you suck at, and then blame Hillary Clinton. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see his grades soon enough, though, because every investigative journalist in the world is on this story now. Yeah. I mean, even if his grades are bad, though, he could just be like, Einstein had bad grades in school. Yeah. He could get out of it, too. It's not even that hard to get out of. He could. Right. But his pride just won't let him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just that you go in preemptively. I don't know. That's just weird. Uh, And I've I've seen a copy of a report card going around. It's fake, guys. We don't actually have his grades yet. But it's so funny. Yeah. No, like not that one. There was another one that came out from Fordham University that showed he had a 1.23 grade point average. And it it looked like a legit report card. It's not. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a non-sourced thing. Um, Nice try. Mm -hmm. Whoever made it up. We're better at teching. (laughs) <laughs> than, than the Republicans, but it is a fake. So you'll know when somebody gets a hold of his grades. I promise. I'll tell you. Uh, also Tuesday, Washington Post reported that Trump is going to move Jesse Liu, uh, the U.S. attorney in D.C., over to the number three spot at Maine Justice. The big news here is that Jesse Liu, who has overseen uh, investigations including Roger Stone, Maria Butina, Sam Patton, that's the guy who... Uh, laundered Russian money into the Trump inaugural and was indicted uh, in one of Manafort's uh, cases, the D.C. case, the one that we'll hear the sentencing for next week. Uh, She oversaw all that, and she's going to be replaced by somebody who might not be so friendly to these kinds of investigations, even though Trump put her there uh, in D.C. Things seem especially fishy since we learned he asked Matthew fucking Whitaker to have Berman unrecuse himself and oversee the Southern District of New York Cohen, uh, you know, prosecution there so he'd be a trump friendly guy this is just one more example of trump trying desperately to cauterize one of the multiple tendrils that has sprouted from the Mueller probe he will lose so good luck uh in manafort news this week oh god Uh, (laughs) yeah so first you guys know most of this Mueller filed a thing uh this week saying (laughs) the thing It's a technical term for it. He filed a thing saying Manafort shouldn't get any downward variation on his sentence. He shouldn't get a break because he's a giant piece of criminal shit. Uh, And Matthew Miller and I will go into the sentencing hearing that took place Thursday in depth in the interview later in the show. But to set that up for you, Mueller basically hammered Manafort saying he's got no remorse. He's got he's not accepted responsibility for his actions. He lied to prosecutors um, and he, he put all that in his sentencing response this past Tuesday. Um. And then the hearing, the sentencing hearing happened, obviously. And then Friday, after we recorded uh, the interview, after I recorded the interview with um, Matthew Miller, the transcripts of the Thursday hearing came out, so we didn't get to talk about this. But we learned that after Manafort was sentenced to fewer than four years um, for crimes that sentencing guidelines recommended 19 and a half to 24 and a half years, so he got a huge break, right? Manafort's attorneys had the chutzpah to ask Ellis to order that the upcoming sentencing in D.C. be served concurrently which means at the same time, not consecutively, to which Ellis said, it's up to her. Um, and then it, 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 I don't know, it just takes a special level of privilege to ask for that shit after you just got that massive break. And now you want the court to order her 
sentence to be served concurrently with the one that you just got. It's absolute bullshit. Yeah, they feel like they're on a roll. You're just pressing their luck. <laughs> oh, that, that made me mad. And Chuck Rosenberg said about the request, quote, many years ago... <laughs> I just love Chuck Rosenberg. Many years ago, Congress passed the statute to create federal sentencing guidelines to bring some parity to the system. So if you did what Manafort did, let's say, in San Diego or Spokane or Topeka, you would get roughly the same sentence regardless of which court or which judge was handling the matter. And this wasn't just a departure. This was a dramatic departure. And it was a departure without a motion from the government to depart downward. Manafort lied. He did not deserve a departure, and he didn't deserve what he got, um, meaning he should have gotten a lot more, mm-hmm. so, unquote. Manafort will be sentenced in D.C. next week. We've talked about this, and I'm hoping Judge Jackson throws the book at him. Uh, he's also, as we know, facing state charges now for tax fraud, so there's still hope. They're teeing up in the—we uh, did this, covered this in the midweek episode, I believe. New York Attorney General and possibly Eastern District of Virginia are, are teeing up um, crimes against Manafort. Yeah, I wonder if she'll go harder on him because he was gone so easy on with Ellis. It was her case that um, he blew up the plea deal in. Um, Right. So, and... Yeah, she's already been based off. And another main difference that um, some folks are talking about is that he pleaded guilty in her court. He pleaded not guilty in Ellis's court. Another thing is he only got two counts against him in the D.C. court. Um, Presumably would have gotten a lot more, but he only got two in order to get the plea deal, which he blew up. So I don't think she's going to go that easy on him. My beans are on eight years. Yeah. Uh, uh, Consecutively. Yes. Yeah, that would be awesome. I I feel like, too, if... If Ellis is consulting other cases of the past of similar natures to, you know, justify not throwing the whole book at him and even less what he did, <laughs> I feel like that'd be completely fair threw the, for threw a pamphlet at him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or brochure. Here's some light reading for you. <laughs> brochure. <laughs> so you committed treason. Yeah. Through the cliff notes. Look at it him. over. See how you feel about it. Um I wonder if then it would be appropriate. I feel like it would be appropriate for Jackson to reference other cases as well. And her sentencing, one of them being Ellis, that totally gave him a light sentence. Probably doesn't work like that. She could. What is precedent, really? Uh, That's my question. mm, Yes. I'm just so upset about that sentencing. But uh, and and oddly, I haven't had all the um, all the Trump guys who normally come at me and tell me to fuck myself in the heart they haven't come at me and said haha he only got four years probably because obviously my response would be trump's campaign manager's going to prison like <laughs> yeah <laughs> what oh it's only four years you win like fuck you <laughs> so maybe that's why they're leaving me alone I ho- or maybe i don't know maybe it's because i blocked them all <laughs> Yeah. I really do feel like Ellis has some sort of disdainment, though, for the fact that that case even arose because it wouldn't have arisen if it weren't for the Mueller probe. So I feel like I mean, at least it like it should have and it could have, but it probably wouldn't have. Well, Mueller's charging document, his scope says to look into these crimes, crimes of collusion and anything else that comes up. So he was well within his scope. But Ellis said time and again, hey, man, I know all what you're trying to do. There's no collusion here. Uh, you're just trying to put the screws to Manafort to get him to flip on Trump. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, whatever. Uh, I think he uh, he he's he's an old timey Republican yeah, white guy. So totally. I and guess that, they stick together. That like amount of leverage is the way that our justice system is able to operate and get any sort of intel out of people. It, that's a common thing. Uh, that's how we catch crimes. So anyway. We'll 
we'll go over that uh, in the interview too. It's it's it was depressing. Uh, then something odd happened Wednesday, you guys. We learned that Chelsea Manning was subpoenaed to testify in the case against Assange and WikiLeaks. And if you remember, Chelsea Manning was sentenced to 35 years for supplying documents to WikiLeaks. And Obama commuted all but four months of her sentence back in 2017 after she'd already served seven years. Uh, she appeared, so you can understand her trepidation here. <laughs> she appeared in court Wednesday with the U.S. attorney and assistant attorney in the Eastern District of Virginia, Zachary Terwilliger. Terwilliger, and I call him G. Willikers, and uh, Kellen Dwyer, uh, where Chelsea Manning said she did not want to testify on the grounds that it could violate her First, Fourth, and Sixth Amendment rights. But on Friday, uh, the judge remanded her to custody, uh, quote, until she purges or the end of the life of the grand jury, unquote. So she's in jail until she either ponies up whatever they're asking her or until the grand jury disbands. So Manning, uh, Chelsea Manning told a reporter she was prepared to go to jail following the closed contempt hearing. She's like, I already done seven years, bro. <laughs> this uh, grand jury can't last more than 18 months. Uh, all her friends welcome her back. <laughs> yeah. And as you guys all know, because of, a, I think it was a copy and paste error on the docket, we all learned that Assange had been indicted already. So I assume they're subpoenaing Manning to get her testimony on Assange. Uh, maybe to help build the case in the hack Russia dissemination of hack documents, Hillary emails, DS, you know, uh, DCCC, DNC, etc. Uh, and we also learned that another person involved in the case has already agreed to testify in exchange for immunity. Julissa, you reported this on, on the midweek episode. It's really an amazing story. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I think that the silver lining here is that Fox News is actually gendering her properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're respectful in that nature. Um, surprisingly, or they forgot. So. Well, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's possible. But um, I don't know. They they might have respect for her for her uh, help help with WikiLeaks. Like you know, they're on that side sometimes. Yeah, like, but they're on the... WikiLeaks side right now. Yeah, exactly. And and so so she's the enemy. You think she's the enemy of Fox? Oh, well, I guess by now maybe, but at the time, no. So. Oh they have yeah, a, because they have a they strange change. camaraderie, yeah, with they, their history. <laughs> yeah, they have they have a strange, uh, yeah, relationship with the big switch, <laughs> uh, consistency. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that was nice. They're calling her she. I'm mm-hmm, as appreciative mm-hmm. of that, at least. Uh, then my favorite story of the week happened Wednesday when we learned that the New York State Department of Financial Services, that's the same agency that extracted a $425 million fine for a Russian money laundering scheme from Deutsche Bank, has requested documents from Trump's insurance brokers regarding his possible inflation of assets to defraud insurance companies. That's a crime. Uh, the reason this is my favorite story is it has nothing to do with the Department of Justice or special counsel or any U.S. attorney's office, so Trump can't touch it. Remember when I said he's trying to cauterize all these tendrils from the Mueller investigation by either getting Berman to unrecuse himself or now moving uh, Jesse Liu over to Justice Department from D.C.? He can't do anything about this. They have nothing to do with any of that. And we we know, I mean, he... This is his way. He can't pardon himself out of it. He can't. He's fucked on this. He's just fucked on this. Um, and he's tried everything to, to quash the investigations into him, his business, his family. But he has zero muscle over the New York State Department of Financial Services. And they're a big damn organization. So we'll keep a close eye on this one. Uh, they can't indict people, but they can file civil suits. That's how they got the $425 million from Deutsche Bank alone. <laughs> and they can make criminal referrals. So put some beans on it. We also learned Wednesday that Trump pressured staff to grant a security clearance to Ivanka Trump. 
Uh, we knew from last week he did this with Kushner, despite saying in January he had nothing to do with it. And Ivanka said in an interview three weeks ago, well, maybe four weeks ago now, saying the president played no part. Um, I love how she calls him the president and not daddy or something weird. Uh, we know that House Dems have asked for memos from John Kelly and Don McGahn regarding Trump pushing them to grant the clearances. On Tuesday, the White House rebuffed the memo request. They're just not going to comply with the request from House Oversight. And we've learned that uh, the House Oversight is probably going to exercise their subpoena power, which could lead to a, a court battle. But Friday, we learned from Axios that a White House source has already leaked the Kelly and McGahn memos pertaining to Jarvanka's clearances before the House Oversight even demanded them from the White House. He, they handed them over. Uh, and we've known for a while there are leakers in the White House, that people that oppose Trump, alt-Fed employees, alt-White House staff. Um, and they've leaked a lot to the press. But to learn they're leaking documents related to national security to the House Democrats is a whole new ballgame. Uh, and I don't know if uh, the White House has to comply with the request in order for a criminal referral to be made, nor do I know if the leakers could seek protection under the Whistleblower Act from Congress, though I suspect if they could, the House would advise them on that. Um, it's important to note here that the House could also get these memos from Kelly and McGahn themselves, neither of which are known for their allegiance to Trump. Uh, and we know McGahn has been cooperating with prosecutors. He spent 30 hours speaking to Mueller uh, about the Russia probe. So add this to the pile of scandals about to be uncovered by the House Dems. It's getting it's getting crazy. Yeah. Sucks to be Trump right now. <laughs> you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and the Daily Beast reported Wednesday that Alan Dershowitz was accused in open court of participating in pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's famous sex trafficking ring. A lawyer of a victim told the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the Second Circuit that the testimony of other witnesses will show Alan Dershowitz was involved in the trafficking. This took place during oral arguments for a case in the Miami Herald, a case that the Miami Herald filed to unseal documents relating to a settled lawsuit from one of the victims. Dershowitz was one of the members of Epstein's legal team that helped broker the sweetheart deal handed down by now Labor Secretary and then U.S. Attorney Alex Acosta. That deal is now being investigated in the House after a federal judge found Acosta broke the law when he gave that deal to Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and it came as no surprise to, to me or anyone probably that Dershowitz asked last week uh, if the judge could please limit press access to the Epstein hearings. <laughs> uh, so hats off to the Miami Herald for following this story for so long. That's some really amazing local journalism down there. Definitely. Uh, Bloomberg reported Wednesday that despite White House denials that Trump played a role in the inaugural, he was actually very involved in the planning Um and specifically a couple of events, of events that are now under scrutiny from federal prosecutors. In response to multiple investigations uh, into the inaugural fund, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that the only involvement the president had was showing up, raising his hand, and taking the oath of office, and that he didn't have anything to do with planning or anything like that. He was hands-off, right? Tiny hands-off. <laughs> but according to people familiar with the planning, Trump had his tiny hands in all kinds of things, from allocation of broadcasting rights to procurement of tablecloths. He was like, he's a micromanager, and ugh, that just makes me hate him even more. Uh, those investigations are still ongoing by both House Dems and federal prosecutors, including Mueller, and we will keep you posted. Does Sarah Sanders ever speak any words that is not just, like, explaining away Donald Trump? I don't think I've ever heard her say anything that's just abs not of that nature. No, I think that's her whole job. Either that or she says you'll have to talk to private counsel. Yeah. What a trip. I can't believe she's still there. Yeah, some people say she's still there because no one else will hire her. Um, <laughs> we haven't had a press conference in 40 days. So. Mm. God damn. That's pretty biblical. 
Uh, there are some amazing stories coming to light this week about the woman who owned the day spa in Jupiter, Florida, where Robert Kraft, and that's the Patriots owner, and 24 others were arrested in a sting operation uh, for getting handies from trafficked women. And Jaleesa, you got that story in Hot Notes this week. Oh, yeah. And Jordan, you, Eric, Eric Prince was back in the news this week, and you'll be going over that. Mm-hmm. In a little bit. So finally, Friday, we learned that uh, White House communications chief and former Fox News executive Bill Shine is leaving the White House. So Trump will need a new defense against the dark arts director. Um, that was nice and subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it reminds me of, because if you if you ever watch Harry Potter every year, they have to get a new defense against the dark arts teacher. Like that's the rotating position. And this seems to be that one in the White House. He's the sixth communications director, a group that included Sean Spicer, Hope Hicks and Scaramucci, the mooch. So Shine plans to continue uh, in staying in the Trump orbit um, as a senior advisor to the president's 2020 reelection campaign. In recent months, good luck with that. Uh, in recent months, that's run by Brad Parscale. That guy's going to jail. Uh, so anyway, recent months, Trump has complained about his shitty press coverage. And apparently, instead of blaming his own stupid ass, he blames his communications chiefs. That's why the turnover rate is so high there. And the turnover rate for Trump advisors on the whole is 65%, which begs the question, if everyone hates you, maybe it's you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, people who walk around, haters, everybody fucking hates me, fuck these dudes. You're a fucking asshole. Like, that is why you have so many haters. Yeah, self-reflection is hard for him to grasp. Oh, yeah, and he seeks out assholes, too. And then the assholes even call him out for being an asshole. (laughs) That's a mega asshole. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Says a lot. Time to take a swim in Lake U. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Sticking to our resolutions can be tough, especially when we aren't armed with the tools to mitigate negative thoughts and obstacles that hold us back. And most people who lose weight or try to pivot to a healthy lifestyle fall back into old habits because most weight loss and health plans only give you the behaviors and they don't focus on the psychology or the underlying issues that prevent us from sticking to our goals. Well, now there's Noom. And with Noom, not only do you get the tools you need, like a user-friendly app that has a step counter, a food log, and a community support and nutritionist all in the palm of your hand, but it also provides education and insight into why we behave the way we do so that you're armed with all the information you need to be successful. Noom knows that everyone is different and that a different approach to committing to a healthy lifestyle can be the catalyst for change that we need. Noom helps you build better habits, it's tailored to your lifestyle, and it's tailored to your goals. They don't just focus on food and exercise, but they look at the big picture and help you tailor a plan that fits your ultimate goals, whether it's weight loss, forming new healthy habits, or just being comfortable with who you are. Best of all, it's convenient, and there's an entire community of users at your fingertips to help motivate you, or just lend an ear. The most important thing I've learned so far personally uh, is defining my relationship with food, which is so much more effective than just being told what to eat or what not to eat. And you'll have access to a personal coach and nutritionist that you can bounce ideas off of. Jordan, I, I know you love Noom. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, it's great. I really, like you said, all the tips that they teach you, there are things that really stick with you and they make a lot of sense. Just things you wouldn't really think of, like eat more liquids, for example, because you get full faster and it keeps you full. And it's it's just stuff that's pretty simple science. But just to have it explained to you like that, it's like, oh, yeah, and it really clicks. Yeah, that was one that stuck with me was sometimes when you're hungry, you're actually just thirsty. Have some water. And it actually totally works. And you get the bonus of being hydrated. Absolutely. So right now there's a 30 second online evaluation that's super easy. It helps you develop your health uh, or weight loss goals. And for me, I wanted to lose a few pounds, but I really wanted to develop new healthy habits. And their convenient program allowed me to not only set and reach my goals, but maintain them. And right now you can sign up for a trial by visiting Noom. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G 
what do you have to lose? Head to Noom.com slash AG to start your trial today. Again, that's Noom.com slash AG. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. Hot Notes. All right, guys, today for Hot Notes, Jordan, you're going to bring back some classic prints. But first, Jaleesa, you have a story about the owner of a massage parlor where Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and 24 other people received hand jobs from trafficked women. What do you got? What do you got? This is yeah. interesting. This is a fascinating this thing. This was really interesting. So we've heard a lot about Cindy Yang in the news this week. She's a 45-year-old Florida entrepreneur from China who created the chain of massage parlors where, like you said, A.G., the Patriots owner, was caught getting, I guess, a grudge tug, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> and uh, even though Yang no longer owns the spa Kraft went to, the other spas her family runs have, quote, gained a reputation for offering sexual services. And then we found out from the Miami Herald that last month, Yang attended a Super Bowl viewing party at Trump's golf club in Palm Beach. They even took a selfie together, which is really cute. But the weirdest part about all of this is that Yang runs an investment business that offers to sell Chinese clients access to the Trump family. It's kind of like essential consultants, except this one is just for Chinese people. (laughs) In fact, on our company's website, which is 90% in Chinese, there's a ton of pictures of Yang and her clients mingling at Mar-a-Lago, which implies that she's been having some success in getting her clients access to Trump. And Yang and her husband started this company. It's called a GYUS Investments LLC. Just really interesting. GYUS Investments. Oh, yeah. I was wondering like how that would be catchy, <laughs> but you nailed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they pretty much started this uh, around 2017, and they describe it as, quote, an international business consulting firm that provides public relations services to assist businesses in America to establish and expand their brand image in the modern Chinese marketplace. That's <laughs> a really nice way of saying giving hand jobs to yeah, rich people. Basically, you know. <laughs> It's fucking essential. (laughs) I'm consulting here. (laughs) (laughs) The firm also mentions that its services include helping their clients make high-level connections in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, the listed activities for clients includes opportunities to interact with and take pictures with the president. And the overall message conveyed by the company seems to be hire Yang's company and she can get you close to Trump and the U.S. government. And if the pictures are real, then she obviously has been able to at least get them close to Trump, which is pretty successful, I guess, in her message. Yeah, and that was a really good tie-in, Jaleesa. It is just like uh, essential consulting because he's selling access. She's selling access to Trump. Pretty much. She sells. Selling selfies. Yeah. And by uh, the seashore, yeah, <laughs> she sells. Cindy Lee sells selfies. selfies she sells selfies by, by the seashore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, Molly uh, Zhang Fast had a really funny uh, Twitter thread about this. Like, she posted all the pictures of the people that Cindy Lee or Cindy Yang has taken pictures with, and she she listed all their like nicknames. She called um, what's it, Dan Bogino, uh, Bingo Bongo. Oh, Bongino. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She calls Bongino. him Bingo Bongo. I call him Bongo Bongo. That's adorable. <laughs> but yeah, he's taken pictures with her. Yeah. yeah really strange even um diamond and silk the the weird black republican ladies um who are really popular on youtube and then all these like political figures like uh don jr and uh matt gates matt gates is my favorite yeah really weird yeah and i like how she's like oh you look a little flush there matt did you have a nice time before Mm -hmm. you took that photo yeah where'd you get that glow (laughs) his cheeks are all red they're probably gin blossoms but whatever yeah it would make sense that's real white (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah and i think this is about to get blown wide open 
Yeah. So we'll yeah. find out. And then I think I sent you that article too that they they have found that she was supplying trafficked women to Chinese businessmen that were staying at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. Mm-hmm. And you tell me Trump didn't know about that. Right. So he's a pimp, basically. Yeah. And the sadder reality is it's probably happening at all of those high-end resorts because mm-hmm. that's just a thing that goes with people with money and it's fucking horrible. And I'm totally fine with it as long as they're not trafficked traffic. sex slaves. Yeah. Like, there are... Uh, right, yeah, that's what I meant, the traffic. Yeah, part. it's the trafficking yeah. part, right? That's the problem, at least for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of people have problems with prostitution. I do not. Um, but that they're trafficked. That, and we were talking about... Um, who was it that was uh, selling Russian women to people in California and taking their passports? Yes, that uh, that was in from the book club. That, that was one was of the Russian mobsters from the yeah from the McCabe book club. We're doing a book club. Uh, if you're a patron, they're free ad free episodes. We're reviewing the book, The Threat. They're fun by yeah. McCabe. They are super fun. But there's a lot of interesting information in there, and this just seems to be a thing that that these guys do and when they when they they bring these women over whether it's from Russia, Ukraine, Baltic states, whether it's Chinese or Vietnamese, they they bring them over and they're usually very young, most of them underage, and they confiscate their passports and they make them have sex with people in order to earn them back basically. Mm-hmm. They earn them back on their backs. Earn them back on yeah, that Mm-hmm. For some reasons, I had a different word in my head, but <laughs> it was repetitive. But yeah, it's it's absolutely horrifying, and uh, I I know Trump's wrapped up in this. And then we've got the Epstein thing, and we've got the now we've got this craft thing, and mm-hmm. I want to know who the twenty four other people were. Yeah, that were arrested. Totally. They say there might be a name. This is just a theory that there might be a name bigger than Kraft involved in all of this. Oh, there is. It's yeah, Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, you think that's the one? I think I think. that would make sense. I think. Yeah. If you don't know that they're trafficked, can you get do you get prosecuted for like aiding and abetting sex trafficking? Mm, I think that you have to. I don't know. I really don't know what, how that law works uh, because it would hard to be hard to prove that you knew the person that you were with was a trafficked human. I think right. that the actual people who organized the trafficking ring probably get the trafficking charges, and the people who just took advantage of the services but were unaware, you can't prove that they were aware, probably just, just get, get prostitution charges. Yeah, because apparently they caught him on video and stuff. So, okay. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Wow. So Thanks, dude. Yeah, that, that's really good reporting and really a lot to think about. Uh, Jordan, what's the what's the latest on Prince to, yeah. uh, to pivot... Yes. Uh, so Eric Prince is back in the news. He's the CEO and founder of the private security firm Blackwater, just as a reminder. And he's a strong supporter of Donald Trump, who's been wrapped up in a couple of very sketchy meetings throughout Trump's campaign. Uh, but of course, he's claimed that he never played any role in his campaign, either official or unofficial. But it would appear that he did, because Prince was the guy who met up with the Russian oligarch Kirill Dmitriev in the Seychelles just days before Trump's inauguration. This is a meeting that has been described by experts as, quote, an apparent effort to establish a back-channel line of communication between Moscow and President-elect Donald Trump, end quote. But now Prince is facing scrutiny over another meeting that he arranged back in August 2016 at Trump Tower. New York Times reported on this in May of 2018. This meeting was attended by Eric Prince himself, DTJ, George Nader, Stephen Miller, fucking douchebag, I hate that guy, and Joel Zamel. 
he's that social media expert, uh, Israeli social media expert. And Prince has now said that that meeting wasn't a big deal. It was just to discuss Iran policy. But what's extra sketchy is now after sitting down with a great interview from, he was, it was conducted by Mehdi Hassan of Al Jazeera English, his statements are seeming to contradict what he told the House Intelligence Committee back in 2017 about this Trump Tower meeting, or rather what he didn't tell them because Prince didn't tell them about this meeting at all. When he was asked why he didn't mention the meeting to Congress, and he was really getting grilled. This guy is a, he was just no remorse. Mediasan is the man. Yeah. Every <laughs> single journalist needs to interview these guys like this. Yeah, and really awesome. Like, no apologies, just moving forward with what has been discovered in this case and, and just unabashedly asking him these questions. Um, so when he asked him why he didn't mention the meeting to Congress, he said that he didn't remember being asked, but he was asked. He was asked if he had any formal communications or contact with a campaign, and I do believe that this would qualify as such. Uh, then later in the interview, Eric Prince switches and says that he did answer that question, actually, but not everything was on the record in the transcript, and that they made a mistake in the transcript, and that was why it wasn't showing up, and then he And everyone it. laughed at him. <laughs> they all laughed at him when he said that. Oh, transcript's wrong. The whole place laughed at him, and Medias like, Oh the, oh, the transcript's wrong. Okay. Right. Yeah, He first he says the transcript is wrong. Then he amends it to say that it was said off the record, that those comments were said off the record. But no members of Congress have indicated that anything off the record said anything about that meeting either. Yeah, no, because if you're asked that and you can't say it, then you say, I'm, I'm not able to answer that question. But when he was asked what he did for the campaign, he said, put up a yard sign. Mm-hmm. He, he answered the question. Uh, he lied. Uh, uh-huh. And of course... The transcript is wrong. Right. And then when he was asked by Medias on if he was worried about potentially getting sent to prison by Mueller for lying to Congress, and he said, nope, not at all. Thankfully, Prince was on that list of people that Nadler requested documents from this week, though, so hopefully that ought to reveal more. Yeah, he actually said, I haven't been contacted in nine months. That's because you're a target, asshole. <laughs> That's what that They're means. They're getting to it. That's what that <laughs> means. If you were a witness, you'd have been contacted. Mm-hmm. You're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Wow. Thanks for that. And that's a huge story because we know, we had Seth Abramson on here uh, for our 2018 season finale. And, and I asked all 17 or so of our past guests what they thought the most important story of 2018 was. And he said it was the August 3rd meeting uh, and that grand bargain. So we're, I think we're going to hear a lot more about this. And that's kind of what I hope the, the Mueller report sort of focuses on is, is that meeting. We'll see. We don't know what it's going to say. It's not for sale on Amazon, even though it is. So don't buy it yet. Yeah. And also, Donald Trump Jr., he's implicated so many times in all of those mm-hmm. meetings. Yeah, he's it's at all insane. of them. Yeah. It's like, you know how, this is the analogy I was thinking of, when like there's a comedy competition and you might bring all of your friends or something to vote for you, assuming you still have friends left as a comic, which is very rare. <laughs> but uh, but then all your friends and all these different groups of friends are voting number one. But then it's those number two votes that wind up pushing that person into first place that everybody sort of is getting. Donald Trump Jr. is the number two. He's yeah. like the connecting person in all of these yeah. stories. And so everybody knows what, what Jordan is describing is when we have these comedy competitions, they use ranked choice voting. Yes, yes. So you have to pick your top four and put one, two, three, and four, and it is always the number two guy that mm-hmm. is the number one person. Yeah. And, and you're right. He's implicated in so many things. He's number two. Yeah. For sure. Giant piece of poop. He is also <laughs> Donald Trump number two. Ha <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> ha. So sorry. 
Nice. <laughs> but uh, we just learned a lot about comedy and Poop. Eric Prince. Poop. Did what? <laughs> number two. Oh, yeah. Number two. <laughs> okay. So enough with the poop uh, didn't we say when early on when we started this that the whole show was just going to be about slavery and poop we did we yeah did. we've been lacking on the slavery which is probably for the best but the poop yeah poop hmm. remains the poop remains <laughs> <laughs> okay uh that's a really i don't know what episode that was three or something yeah we're, it's an old we're classier people now mm. yeah our yes. motto's changed <laughs> we, we've grown so much uh, all right, so today, many of you have asked. I got a lot of emails to ask me to go over the 81 people that Jerry Nadler sent letters to demanding documents from the House uh, Judicial Committee, Judiciary Committee. First, again, if you want a rundown of all 81, just listen to the pod from episode one because that about covers it. But even though each and every person on that list has been named in our pod at some point, I wanted to go over some of the more obscure ones for you because no matter how amazing your murder board is, there's just no way you're going to remember who they all are. Um, and I had to look up a couple of myself. So before we jump in, I wanted to point out that Nadler's requests aren't like the Trump inaugural subpoena in that they aren't asking for everything ever, right? Uh, as you know, the House Intelligence Committee run by Adam Schiff is focused on Trump's ties to Russia, as I said before, whereas the judiciary is more interested in the obstruction of justice piece and, and a few other things as well. And this document request is more specifically for things these folks have already handed over to special counsel or federal prosecutors and state attorneys general. So they should have them on hand already, ready to go. They've already handed them over. And there's no uh, privilege because they've waived the privilege by giving them to prosecutors uh, in any of those other cases. Uh, so they have no reason to refuse. They've already given them over to somebody. So that waives any privilege that they might try to assert. So that being said, here we go. Uh, first name on the list you might not recognize is the number one name, Alan Garten. We added him to the fantasy indictment draft in episode 20. The episode 20 is kind of the the pivotal draft because we got that minority report. Which is, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Which is what Adam Schiff was saying. The Republicans aren't asking for shit, and I want follow-up documents on all these people and all these entities. And I'm like, well, here's my fantasy indictment draft list. Yeah, the cheat sheet for us. Yeah. The first one. We've gotten a few since, too. So check out episode 20. Um, he We mentioned him there. Uh, he's a Trump Organization lawyer, and he's the chief legal officer there. So all Mueller requests about real estate deals such as Trump Tower Moscow, or a, there was a, a real estate deal between Trump and Putin allies in Latvia, Riga, Latvia, they all would have gone through this guy. So they, uh, he got a letter. Uh, the next name that you might not recognize is Annie Donaldson. Uh, she's the chief of staff for Don McGahn. And Mueller has her extensive notes on the firing of Jim Comey, which goes to the heart of obstruction of justice. Another name you might not recognize is Jason Maloney. Uh, he was Manafort's spokesman, and he testified before Mueller's grand jury back in 2017. He's been questioned about Manafort's meetings with Kolimnik, lightly, likely, lightly, <laughs> <laughs> likely surrounding the allegation that Manafort handed over sensitive polling data to the Russians. So that's Maloney. Then we have John uh, Suboxin. He was the, it sounds like a drug. If you take Suboxin, don't take if you're allergic to Suboxin. <laughs> you might experience trouble swallowing, sleep apnea, horseshoes. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Suboxin was the business partner of Peter Smith. And Peter Smith is the guy who scanned the dark web for Hillary emails, and he ended up dying by suicide. See, I did it. Uh, and he left a note that said, no foul play whatsoever. That was his suicide note. And uh, Suboxin and Smith were the two signers for the bank account for KLS Research. That's another one on our Fantasy Indictment League. 
Uh, that's the account that had mysterious large cash deposits and withdrawals around the time Peter Smith was looking for the Clinton emails. And Suboxone interviewed with Mueller three times that we know of. So there's him. Uh, then we have Julian David Wheatland, and he's a one of the CEOs for Cambridge Analytica. So that's Wheatland, in case you're wondering. I know everyone thinks of Alexander Nix when you know we think of Cambridge Analytica. So uh, that's Wheatland. Uh, you also might not recognize the name Mark Corallo, but we've talked about him pretty extensively. He's the lawyer that was on Air Force One coming back from G20 2017 when Trump concocted the phony statement for the New York Times on behalf of Don Jr., number two, saying uh, the Trump Tower meeting was about Russian adoptions. Remember, and he probably got that from Putin um, because he had that little secret meeting with Putin at the G20 summit, and, and that might have been... Hey, what do I say about this? They're asking about the meeting. Ah, say it's about adoptions. Um, anyway, Mark Corello quit right then. He said, I got to get out of here. Uh, this is obstruction of justice. He jumped off the plane. Yeah, <laughs> Boo! yeah we, we <laughs> joked about that. You got to have a couple parachutes on Air Force One because of obstruction of justice. I don't want to obstruct justice. <laughs> Calabunga. Uh, then there's Matt Tate. He's former information security specialist at Britain's government communications headquarters. Uh, that Peter Smith contacted to find out if the emails he found on the dark web uh, were legit. And I, I don't know what this dark web is. Uh, maybe I'm too old. But I've I, heard about it, but I, I've never been on myself. I think it's a made-up thing to sell us fraud protection. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's real. I think it's real. It's just I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, what, is it like WWP? It's like the Matrix, man. You gotta you gotta know some people to get in there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not in the know. Hey, if anybody can hook me up with dark web tickets, <laughs> let me know. Dark web tickets, that's adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, then there's Christopher Bancroft Burnham, uh, and Christopher Bancroft Burnham, and he's uh, he's a former Deutsche Bank executive that was one of the seven people appointed to the board of Deripaska's aluminum company after he divested in a bid to get sanctions lifted. Which worked. So that's Christopher Bancroft Burnham. He's a he's a Deripaska fella. Uh, then we have Tom Bossert, who was the White House Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor, and I think, and these are beans, that he was too good at providing cybersecurity uh, for things like election meddling. So Trump forced him out. That's those are beans. But he left pretty early on. He left around the time Trump was flirting with firing Mueller. So Bossert might Bossert might have some information about obstruction of justice in that vein. Interesting. Finally, there's Tony Fabrizio. Uh, we've talked about him before. He's the pollster for the Trump campaign. He was questioned by Mueller over a year ago, likely regarding the Manafort-Kalimnik meetings and potential exchange of polling data that occurred between them. So, that's Fabrizio. And anyway, that's it. I went through the whole list. Everybody else we should know. Yeah, uh, those were the more, like, obscure names that popped out to me, too. Yeah, and, of course, me being me, if you if you have any more questions about any of those individuals and you're not getting any answers or you can't find any uh, juice, we're, we're working on putting a database up on our website, a searchable database. You mm -hmm. can pop a name in it. It'll tell you what episode to go to to listen to uh, listen about that person. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, you know, again, shoot us an email. Hello, Muller, she wrote. Um, I'm not going to tell you about all 81. I that's what that, we've I've that's like 7,000 hours. <laughs> you really just have to listen because the the stories are so involved and the threads are too many to put them in succinct little. Yeah, they're so intertwined. You can't just list them, right? And, you know, and that's that curatorial journalism that that we talk about, mm -hmm. um, where we have to frame everything so that you can put it in context. It's just too much. That's why the podcast exists in the first place. So. 
have a listen to some of those back episodes. The big ones were like uh, 6, 8, 12, 16, 24, 32. Mm-hmm. These you are all like 20 was a big one too. 20 was a big one because that's when we introduced the whole uh, giant list from the Minority Report. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, episode two, the Magnitsky Act. That was a big one. Uh, the first one's adorable because we're like, Flynn's <laughs> going to get indicted tomorrow. <laughs> and Junior's going down. Yeah. Oh, we're so in the starry. kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, sorry about the sound quality. This podcast was started on a whim uh, the week I thought of it in my kitchen with uh, microphones that come in Cracker Jack boxes. So <laughs> be aware of that. And we were all just learning how to edit. We do all of our own editing and all of our own sound production. So we were just learning that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're uh, a little bit better at it now. We still have much room to improve because... Everyone does, but yes, uh, bear with us on the sound quality on those early ones. Uh, Thank you so much. Anyway, those are the names you might not recognize. Among the letters sent out by Nadler on behalf of the Judiciary Committee, everyone else on the list, like I said, we've mentioned multiple times. I'm glad to hear from you guys, uh, and I'm thankful that you uh, had recognized, because you guys had put out a lot of tweets, like when that list came out, we had a lot of listeners saying, thanks to Mueller, she wrote, I know who all these motherfuckers are. Mm Woohoo! So I don't know what good that does you unless you have some weird trivia night at a pub near you. <laughs> <gasps> That's a great idea. Muller Trivia Night. Mm, but those if are you're our a live... bar owner, you should do that. Those are our live shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think it would work out well, though, because I've been to a couple of I've been out at bars a couple of times when like Roger Stone was on there and everyone's like, who's that fucking guy? And I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> Enough in the crowd. Yeah. Uh, trivia wouldn't work well there. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm actually still surprised by how many people don't know who the major players are in this and I don't know we'll see how it goes down but thank you guys so much for uh, for your votes of confidence we really appreciate it and uh, we'll be right back hey Muller junkies Muller she wrote is brought to you by Skillshare Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design business tech and more you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity creativity and your career Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, film, or even illustration. So whether you're looking to discover a new passion, just keep going with your lifelong learning goals, or start a side job, Skillshare is there to support your goals in lifelong learning. I recently took an organization class on Skillshare because I have a tough time managing my calendar uh, with my day job, the podcast, comedy, the upcoming tour, uh, and so I, I really needed some tools on how to manage my calendar. And I took this class, the interaction felt really personal, uh, and I was able to come away with a ton of information on improving my time management skills. So I absolutely love the interface, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Jordan, you took a class, right? Yeah, I did one called uh, Do Things, Tell People, The Power of Personal Branding. And that was good for me because that's such a big part of the industry that we're in and I have a hard time sort of. I feel weird posting about myself kind of because I don't know how to do it or where to start. And yeah, it's just nice. It's it's pretty simple. You do stuff and then you tell them about it. Yeah, and I'm going to start looking for a class on there. Um, I think they have a couple on, on not just branding yourself, but like saying nice things about yourself, selling yourself because I, have, I always have a hard time writing bios and, and we have to write them all the time. So that's something else I want to look into. So anyway, guys, join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. You get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Muller She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. So to sign up, go to Skillshare.com AG. Again, that's Skillshare.com AG to start your two months now. One more time, Skillshare.com AG. You'll be glad you did. All right, are you guys ready for sabotage? Yes. yes. 
All right, this week's sabotage is brought to you by the over 550 registered LLCs owned by Trump and the Trump Organization, (laughs) none of which he really divested from when he took office, as most presidents normally do. For example, Jimmy Carter, he sold his peanut farm to avoid (laughs) conflicts of interest. Well, now, uh, Democrats in the House are debating whether to expand their inquiry into Trump's taxes. As we all know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez asked a brilliant line of questions Uh, When Cohen was testifying publicly to the House Oversight Committee last week, she asked if Trump had inflated his assets to commit insurance fraud, basically. Yes. Uh, And then she followed up with an inquiry about how can we determine that fact? Uh, Can we should maybe we look at uh, his financial statements and his tax returns and compare the two? And then Cohen was like, yeah. (laughs) So that basically, um, you know, she wanted to, to look. For for the committee to, to be able to assess the inconsistencies between those two documents, right, tax returns and financial statements. And that teed up the Finance Committee to file formal requests for Trump's taxes to the IRS, which is going to likely hit the IRS in the next week or so. Well, now House Democrats are considering expanding the scope of that request to include, to include Trump's business taxes, uh, according to a Reuters report released late Friday. This is just last night. Success against legal resistance would depend on the ability of Democrats to prove a legitimate legislative purpose for this request. Uh, As normally, you just when you do a tax request, you just get someone's personal taxes. But tax experts say that including the business taxes actually strengthens the House argument because the business returns are more likely to show where the conflicts of interest are. So buckle up for that court battle. I think it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. 500? I did not know it was that Five, much. 550. Goddamn, that's crazy. 550 LLC is all told, and they all have names like paint <laughs> colors at Home Depot. Summer Breeze. <laughs> Beach Love. <laughs> all right, you guys ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. yes. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! I'm gonna be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted! Okay, so it's cooking up. It's getting cookie in here. And as I've said before, in case you're wondering, uh, what say Mueller hands off all these uh, tendrils, all these cases to all these different places, whether they be U.S. attorneys' offices or main justice, those cases that continue on will count towards this fantasy indictment league because they were born out of the Mueller investigation. So okay. whether they come from Mueller or the Southern District of New York, Eastern District of Virginia, if they're somehow related to, to Russian collusion or the Mueller investigation or anything that sprung from it, like the inaugural investigation, or mm-hmm. yeah, all that counts. So keep Perfect. that in mind as we go. And I picked last week first, so Jaleesa, you get to pick first this week. Okay, I'm going to do Weiselberg. Okay, so that's Alan Weiselberg, the Correct. guy who got limited immunity. Yes. Uh, the guy, CFO for Trump Org, right? Mm-hmm. Weiselberg. All right, Jordan. I'm doing Eric Prince. No. Good, good <laughs> stuff, man. I wanted him too. Uh, I'm going to do Assange. Nice. <laughs> nice. Jaleesa? Uh, Corsi plea deal. He might be one of the five guys that, that Caputo was talking about. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Corsi plea. All right. Jordan. Uh, DTJ. Number two. All right, I'm going to go with uh, WikiLeaks. I'm stacking the deck on Assange this week. Yeah, smart. I'm going to do Brittany Kaiser. All right, CEO of Cam Anna. Mm-hmm. One of the many. Brittany Kaiser. 
Uh, Jordan. Felix Sater. Good one. Because he lied about Trump Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Kush. Jaleesa. Trumpetong girl. Trumpetong? Yeah. 58th presidential inaugural. It's weird, right? Because he's the 44th president, but that's the 58th inaugural. So, oh, well, yeah, because President Sue serves Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You still I'm have an inaugural. Bad in at math term. is what that is. Yeah. Jordan? Uh, superseding stone. All right. I'm going to go with AMI. One, two, three, four. One more, Jaleesa. Ooh, um, I'm also going to do Trump Org. Jordan? Um, how about Bannon Plea Deal? Ooh. All right, that leaves me, and I'm going to say Dylan Howard. In case you're wondering, that's the other guy of. Uh, from AMI. Nice. All right, that's it. That's Fantasy Indictment League, so it should be interesting. Um, I'm not sure. I There were rumors swirling around uh, uh, Twitter, Twitterverse, and a couple of uh, sources on the ground in D.C. saying that this yesterday, last Friday, like 12 indictments were going to drop, and I, I wasn't feeling it, um, so I didn't uh, I didn't say anything, and uh, you know, yeah, people I don't are, like to get your hopes up falsely. Yeah, they're speculating Ivanka apparently, but I don't know what that was based on, besides Twitter. Yeah, it could have been the Azerbaijan hotel shit. Who who knows? Mm. Uh, maybe the diamonds money laundering thing that she did with her jewelry. She's yeah. been all over the place. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I don't I don't know if we're gonna see any. We we've got. John Kelly is saying there'll be more indictments coming out uh, before the Mueller probe is over. We've got people saying there aren't. This just shows uh, that uh, with the experts disagreeing that no one knows what's going to go on with the with the Mueller report. So um, trying to speculate is is a little weird. If I get clues, like if a grand jury meets on a Thursday or, you know, something like that goes down, I might be like, I feel something coming. I feel a felony Friday. Right. But other than that, we just kind of have to wait and see. So. Hmm. Patience. (laughs) All right, guys, it's time for the interview. So joining us for the interview today is MSNBC justice and security analyst, former director of the Office of Public Affairs for the Department of Justice and partner at the management consultancy firm uh, Villanovo LP. Please welcome Matthew Miller to the show. Matthew, thanks again for coming on Mueller, she wrote. Oh, thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to you today about the sentencing of, of Paul Manafort this week. That was kind of the big news. And we don't really need to recap for our listeners uh, all the everything that's happened so far because they're all really caught up on the back and forth uh, sentencing memos. So let's just start off with the sentencing hearing Thursday. And I wanted to get your top line take on, the, first of all, the fact that Manafort spoke and then also what he said. Uh, you know, in some ways, what he said was what you would expect from a defendant at this stage uh, of a trial and sentencing. They uh, often come before the court. They usually speak, and they often kind of throw themselves on the court's mercy, talk about how um, how how painful this has been, and beg for mercy, which he did. But the part of it that was so unusual was the fact that he didn't uh, express any remorse or really take uh, responsibility in any meaningful way for his crimes. Um, and whether that was just uh, because he d- didn't want to, you know, further humiliate himself that way, he's too proud. Um, 
that he couldn't bring himself to, to say that or uh, because he kind of wanted to hold out this thin reed of hope, you know, to the to the president uh, who might be considering a pardon, kind of saying, well, I, you know, I never quite admitted to doing this. I signed the documents, signed the plea documents in D.C., but, you know, I never stood up in court and, and, and took responsibility. Maybe it gives the president more uh, of an excuse to pardon him. I, I think it's hard to know um, the answer to that, at least yet. Yeah, and Judge Ellis even mentioned that uh, in in the hearing. He 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 said, Manafort, you, you're expressing zero remorse here, and you're getting zero credit for cooperating, zero credit for accepting responsibility. But then on the flip side, he started to say things like, Manafort had led a blameless life except for these crimes. And I was wondering what you thought of that. You could say that Manafort had never been convicted of a crime before now. That's a, an appropriate thing for a judge to say. It's an appropriate thing for him to consider in, in uh, deciding on what the sentence ought to be. But to say someone that, that spent his uh, life working for foreign dictators uh, who had admitted to Congress back in the 80s that he had used influence peddling to get $40 million out of the Reagan administration to build a housing project that, that he wanted to develop... Um, someone who, uh, you know, if you look at any of the, the information in the public record, really had, had at the minimum sort of skated very close to the law for a long time before, you know, embarking on this 10-year crime speed spree that led him to be indicted in two districts and plead guilty in one. Um, blameless was, I think, kind of an outrageous thing for the judge to say about Paul Manafort. Yeah, and not only that, not only did he say, you know, he's led a blameless life and all this other stuff, and, and his daughter, Manafort's daughter, doesn't even agree with that, um, but he he then was talking about, okay, do you remember when Manafort's lawyers uh, turned in this their, their response to the sentencing memo saying, uh, hey, there was no collusion, all of this, none of this would have happened if it weren't for those meddling special counsel people, and he would be completely a free man, and none of these crimes would have been prosecuted if they had just stuck to the Russia collusion thing. I think they said no collusion like 20 times in that document. But then Ellis kind of parroted that uh, in the hearing, saying, I just want to go on the record saying that there, this is not about, there's no crimes here about Russian collusion. Why would he do that? Um, I, you know, I, I, I think, well, first of all, let me talk about Manafort's lawyers, why they put that in the, the, their filings. I think it's clear for them, they're looking for a pardon. I mean, they're parroting the president's language because they want the president to give Manafort a pardon. Um, for the judge to do it, though, I think only the only thing I can figure is it shows it demonstrates again this hostility he had towards the special counsel and towards this case from the beginning. He showed it in the pretrial proceedings, he showed it at trial, and he showed it again uh, yesterday. And it, it just it doesn't make any sense for him to say no collusion. Collusion, well, obviously wasn't what it was at stake here. Also, there was no murder, there was no forgery. That doesn't mean the crimes that he charged, was charged with, and ultimately convicted of weren't serious crimes. They obviously were. Yeah, and there were some people actually, I guess, looking for a silver lining, suggesting that Judge Ellis might have done that, mentioned the no collusion thing, to draw a clear line between these crimes and crimes of collusion to kind of clear up any questions about double jeopardy. But that seems like a stretch to me. Do you think it's, I, I'm kind of with you, it's probably because Ellis was just not fond of this case from the beginning. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's what it was. Um, that, that you know, I, I have a hard time figuring out what he would be doing um, to try to um, head off double jeopardy. If, they, if he gets charged with other crimes, they're going to be tried you know, based on the, the evidence and the judge's comments aren't going to have anything to do with it. I think it was just the judge um, really showing, again, anger and hostility towards the defense and 
just too much sympathy to this defendant who I think, you know, this judge looks at and sees, you know, a version of himself, another kind of, you know, powerful, um, uh, older white man. And unfortunately, those type of defendants get better treatment uh, than other defendants in our criminal justice system. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of folks are calling this 47-month sentence, which is not even four years, and he's probably, I think he's getting time served, that they're saying it's a miscarriage of justice because it sends the wrong message to America about our justice system when you consider the difference between how these white-collar crimes are prosecuted, or not prosecuted, but at least punished, versus street crimes and everyday common people, and that there have been a lot of different examples put out on Twitter about folks who have done far less and served far more time. And I was wondering what you thought of of this, of the message that that sends about our Justice Department or our justice system. Uh, I, I think it's heartbreaking, but it's true. Our criminal justice system treats certain crimes uh, by certain defendants uh, less seriously than it does other crimes by other defendants. And, and what that means, to I mean, just to put a fine point on it, is that people who commit white-collar crimes uh, are treated uh, less harshly than people who commit uh, other crimes. And, and I'm leaving violent crimes out of here for a minute because you can make a case that violent crimes ought to be treated by the justice system more harshly. But people that, that are convicted of drug distribution and especially um, uh, minorities who are convicted of drug distribution just get harsher outcomes from the criminal justice system uh, than white defendants and especially white powerful defendants. It's, it's, it is a, an unfairness that has been in the system for years and there have been some improvements, but it's still just just dramatically unfair and leads to heartbreaking outcomes all the time. I agree. And um, it's it's tough over here on this side because part of my job or part of my mission is to find silver linings and kind of hold up hope for the justice system. And I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a silver lining here. Um, so maybe we look toward next week because we know Judge Jackson uh, who isn't as fond of Manafort, uh, will sentence him in the D.C. case on two counts there. Um, and, and there's a max of five years, I think, for each count. And first, uh, he only got two counts, and, and he presumably would have faced more charges had he not struck a deal, which he totally blew up on his own. So I was wondering if Judge Jackson can take those additional crimes that weren't charged into consideration when she sentences him next week. Um, no, she can't do that. But what she can do is if you look at the two counts for which he was charged, they sweep in. Um, a lot of conduct, especially the, the the first count, the conspiracy to defraud the United States, it sweeps in um, basically everything that he had initially been charged with in D.C. And you know, get the, I think what she'll do is look at that and say, look, the statutory maximum here is 10 years, um, and she has two things to consider. One, uh, should she give him the full 10 years or something less? And two, and this is really important, should she let his the charges in D.C run consecutively uh, to his Virginia sentence, meaning run after, tacked on, or should they be concurrent? And I suspect, given both the seriousness of his conduct and the light sentence he got in Virginia, she'll consider all that, and we're going to see a much different-looking outcome. Yeah, and I do also wonder if the, the, the light sentence or the lenient sentence also makes it more difficult for Trump to pardon Manafort of these crimes, or, I mean, not that Trump ever pays any attention to anything that, you know, <laughs> that might have consequences or not. But I think it might make it a little more politically difficult for him to pardon such a light sentence. Um, yeah, although by, by the time he, he takes the action, if he does, we'll, have, we'll see what the full uh, sentence looks like when he has both on, on, on top of them. I, I agree that it is politically very risky for, for Trump to do this. 
But I would add, you know, a full pardon is not his only option. He could commute his sentence. Uh, he could reduce his sentence, you know, like he could reduce his sentence to um, a year or six months or time served, or, you know, or completely wipe out the conviction altogether with a pardon. So he does have some options um, uh, at his disposal. But, you know, doing that heading into a reelection is uh, in some ways a foolish thing. But in other ways, it sends a message to other defendants that, hey, Keep your mouth shut, make it through, and at the end of the process, I'll be there for you. Yeah, and we don't really know what is a mistake by this administration because, because I think he's got this this base that just doesn't go anywhere. And and you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, um, the consecutive or concurrent sentencing uh, coming up next week with uh, Judge Jackson. And we know that Mueller, he reserved the right to request consecutive or concurrent sentencing, but he didn't do so in the last sentencing memo. So... Like you said, I think maybe that lowball sentence from Ellis does leave room now for Mueller to either ask for consecutive sentences or for Judge Jackson to go that way. Yeah, I think that's right. The, the sentencing hearing, I think, is on Wednesday, and it wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if when uh, Mueller's team, probably Andy Weissman, comes and argues before the judge that that's that's what he asked for, and I I, I will won't be you know, I, she may not give him the full ten years, maybe it's seven or eight or something, but I would I I, I do think it'll probably end up running consecutive to his Virginia sentence. Yeah, I sure I hope so. Um, and do you uh, do you think Mueller could add any charges between now and next week? I mean, either the any crimes of collusion he didn't charge, if there are any, or those ten counts from the Eastern District of Virginia the jury was hung on. I mean, he reserved the right to retry those if he wanted, but I guess that would be retrying and. And, and different. Yeah, I think I, I I doubt he goes back on the on the Virginia case. And um, you know, if he has some other charges in his back pocket, he could um, uh, throw the you know he could bring those now. It seems more likely to me though, especially if, if Manafort gets a serious sentence in in D.C. Um, you know, given that he's seventy years old, let's say he ends up with you know eleven years total or something. Um, my guess is that they're probably done with him. Yeah, and of course, none of it would matter if Trump pardons him. But like you said, there's other options, too. It could reduce his sentence or commute his sentence or give him time served. But but I hear tell this week that the New York State Attorney General is preparing charges now against Manafort. And as we know, at least the tax crimes don't fall under that double jeopardy problem. Um, and, and maybe even the Virginia AG uh, could bring similar charges. I mean, how do you see this playing out uh, in the end? Because over here, we all think Manafort should spend the rest of his life in jail. I suspect the prosecutors in, in Virginia and New York are going to do now what prosecutors often do, which is watch and see what other law enforcement agencies are doing, watch and see what kind of sentences come down. And they're also going to have to take into account the statute of limitations. You can see maybe, you know, maybe we'll just wait and deal with Manafort later unless the statute is going to run in either of those jurisdictions. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if New York in particular, who is, where the prosecutors have seemed to be very aggressive when it comes to looking at Manafort, wouldn't surprise me if they, they um, file charges um, you know, and bring him to trial just, to, to, just as a fail-safe to tell the president, look, your pardon will only do so much, won't wipe out state crime. Yeah, well, here's hoping. Uh, and uh, thank you again so much for joining us today. And we're excited that you're going to be joining us live on stage at the Bell House in Brooklyn on March 30th. So, And that, I think our, our other guest actually is Andrea Chalupa that, that night. So we're looking forward to seeing you then. Great. Really looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. MSNBC Justice and Security Analyst and former Director of uh, Office of Public Affairs for Department of Justice, Matthew Miller. Matthew, thanks so much again for coming on Mueller, She Wrote. 
All right, guys, that's our show. Um, please visit our website, MullerSheWrote.com, for all of our latest tour information. Thanks again to Matthew Miller for coming on the show. He's so great. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's going to be joining us live in, in New York, uh, March 30th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. So uh, we'll make sure to put the Minneapolis link up there when we get a moment. Uh, Jordan, you can make sure that happens, right? Definitely. Cool. And there's going to be VIP tickets, too, an hour-long cocktail meet-and-greet before reception. Hi, where we can say hi and stuff. I don't know who the special guests are going to be yet, um, but we'll keep you posted. Join us for our midweek episodes Wednesday nights. They're ad-free, they're full-length, um, and they're for patrons. So if you're not a patron, hook it up, three bucks. Also, check out the MSW Book Club Thursday nights. We're currently reviewing The Threat by Andrew McCabe. Excellent book so far. Um, the audiobook is narrated by him, which we love. So you can check that out and listen to our episodes that kind of talk about uh, the book and how, how it worked out. Uh, I I like it especially because I feel like with everything that we know and all, everything you guys know as Muller junkies and everything that that Jordan and Jaleesa know, that when things come up in the book, for, especially things that tie to other books we've read, like Russian Roulette or the Jim Comey book, or they tie to other stories that we've done or covered, it's like all this kind of neat. We get to make we get to connect all these dots. So it's 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 not just a book review. We don't just go through what the book says. We 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 talk. We have more in depth discussions about the relevance and we try to frame it in, in certain time periods and how it affected other things. It's just, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and we're a little bit looser on that one too. So yeah, good point. Fun, fun. And we can't wait to see you guys on the road. Uh, and yes, we will be releasing those uh, live shows as episodes. So you will be able to hear them provided nothing goes wrong with recording them. <laughs> uh, I want to put that caveat out there. Live sound is not always your friend. Uh, but anyway, we love and appreciate you all. Please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, we will see you Wednesday night for the midweek episode. Do you guys have any final thoughts? No, I don't uh, think so. Yeah, just uh, thanks whoever made our Wikipedia page. That was really cool. I don't know who did it. Oh, we're we, on Wiki. We're on Wikipedia now. Yeah, yeah. Because it's hard to do that. Like it's hard to make a page. You gotta like go through this weird sandbox system. It's like the dark web. It's confusing to me. So. It's on the dark web. Yeah, someone made a page for us though. Like yeah, and it's really cool. So I wonder if somebody you. on the dark web has our emails. Well, certainly. <laughs> I think I'm so confused about where the dark web is. I don't understand it either. Yeah. How mm-hmm. do you even get to it? I don't know. I think it's where Momo lives. Oh. That Al- explains a lot. Al Gore knows. Al Gore knows. <laughs> he invented the internet. <laughs> <laughs> the dark web. Is that just where you buy sketchy shit? You can buy organs, I hear. It's crazy. Organs, okay, so it's like identities. Guns. Hillary's emails are there. Just it's everything. Right on the internet, your yeah. fingertips. Which doesn't belong. Wow. The dark web, though. I think you have to have, I don't know. A special a... dark computer? <laughs> password? Oh, yeah. Like, how do you even get there? A password? It's tricky, man. That's why I was like, it's maybe it's not www. Maybe it's like www.x. Something. Like, there's just some, I don't know. A yeah. Dot, dot fart. I don't know what it is. It's I don't know scary. How it makes me think about how Mark Zuckerberg always covers up his. um his webcam because he knows people in the dark web are always watching yeah. or whatever. So, <laughs> And I wonder if the splash page just looks like the upside down from Stranger Things. Like it's oh. all creepy and there's cobwebs and it's dank and sort of swampy. Yeah, I wouldn't nice. be surprised. Yeah, And then you just see f- like a file, a box of emails floating in the swamp <laughs> in the distance and you have to somehow code your way to it like hackers, uh, the movie, not just hackers in general. Right. You know. Mess with the best. I like the rest. <laughs> anyway. Uh, 
Dark Web. If you have any insights, please let us know. Hit us up at Muller She Wrote. Uh, yeah, on, let us know if we're being dramatic. On Twitter. <laughs> Send me a link. Yeah, organs. T- tweet me a link uh, to the dark web. Or, you know, explain it to me. Hello at Muller She Wrote. I, I'm interested in what it is. I mm-hmm. suppose I could Google it, but I bet I would not get the right information. That's it's true. Probably, what happens if you Google the dark web? They want you to Google it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they won't totally show do. you the real That's answer. How they you. I think yeah. you're right. Momo shows up. Yeah. McCabe shows up. Oh, no. That's. I don't think he's dark. No, 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 no. Yeah. He's 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 on the good web. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the cop. He's not a cop anymore, actually. Well, yeah. once a cop, always a cop, right? Good point. All right, guys. Everybody, please be kind to each other. Thank you for being patrons, and thank you for listening. We will see you next week. I've been AG. I've been Julissa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And this is How We Win. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. 
and one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.